0: Father in heaven, truly we are grateful for your compassions and we're thankful that they don't fail, that they are new every morning. And this morning, you have given us life, you've given us breath. And we thank you, Lord, that even though the wages of sin is death, and we confess freely that this is what we deserve, our hearts are grateful that you keep our hearts beating, you keep our blood circulating, you provide air and sunshine. And Lord, we take none of these things for granted. We confess our great need of you now as we kneel before you, as we seek to share together, as we seek to know your will, as we seek to hear your voice and to follow it. We ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you will do for us what we cannot possibly do for ourselves. And we present these things in the name and in the honor of Jesus. We thank you for him. Amen. Amen. If one of you for the Bible is in English, um, we'll open for 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> Several of you are opening. That's good. I would like one volunteer to read that chapter. The whole one? In its entirety. Yeah. First Corinthians thirteen. Thank you. Though I speak with a tongue
1: of lamb and of angels, and have not charity, I have become a sounding brass for a tinkling symbol. And though I have a gift of prophecy, I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so I can remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. <coughs> and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity mean nothing. Charity suffered long and is kind. Charity animates not. Charity wanted it not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in a truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, Hopeeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, that when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see her at glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now I buy faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these
0: is charity. Amen. Thank you. Knowingly, or unknowingly, we have just followed some good counsel. (laughs) There is a little sentence that I found some years ago. The Lord desires me to call the attention of his people to the 13th chapter of First Corinthians. Read this chapter every day. Imagine, it's the only chapter I know of that we've been encouraged by the Lord's servant to read. How often? Every day. Learn, oh no, it says read every day, and from it obtain comfort and strength. Learn from it the value that God places on sanctified heaven-born love, and let the lesson that it teaches come home to your hearts. Learn that Christ-like love is of heavenly birth, and that without it, all other qualifications are what? Worthless. Useless. Now this is amazing. This This is good stuff. Okay. Part of the idea this morning is responding to God's call for service. What are we responding to is, is something that's very important. It's of heavenly birth. Isn't that great? Where are we going to get it? If we want to have it, where are we going to get it? No, thank you. It's from heavenly birth. There is no other place for us to receive it except from heaven. It must come from outside ourselves. As a gift. We're to obtain comfort. We're to to obtain strength. We're to learn from it the value that God places on this. And that without it, all other qualifications are worthless. Uh, When they sent me the little email about the seminar they would like to have done about Christian leadership and skills for Christian leadership and how that works, you know, in the world, and unfortunately in the church and amongst ourselves, we will find people in positions of leadership that don't belong there simply because we have accepted the world standard and the world's pressure. In the world, money equals power and authority, and money, power, and authority rule. Okay, they rule. Make no mistake; that's how it works in the world. Have you ever seen that happen in the church? Have you ever seen it happen in institution? Should it be that way? No. See, it shouldn't be that way. We have too often we default. We settle for less than what God wants us to have. And I've been in many small congregations where no one will speak to the wealthiest church member when something's being done wrong. No one has the courage to go to that brother or to that sister and say, now look at, you know, God's word tells us we should go this way. Why? See, James says you're a respecter of persons. And a humble guy comes in and we tell him, hey, sit in the corner, Nicely dressed person comes in, sit, sit here up front. And James calls that what? Sin. That we do this. And he's talking to God's people. He's not talking to someone else. Now, all other gifts are wonderful to have. And they're needed in leadership. But without this, all other qualifications are what? Yeah, they're worthless, and yet do our hearts do do our experience because our experience agree with God's work? That's that's what has to get personal with us. Is that are we willing to agree with God, Lord? If I don't have this, all the other qualifications you've given me are worthless. In fact, as we will see, they are actually very harmful. For people with good leadership skills to not have this, these people can do a lot of damage. We can do a lot of damage because, as you'll see, we will follow leaders. Now that was, uh, I can give you the locations of these quotations later. In the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul defines true Christ-like love. This chapter is an expression of the obedience of all who love God and keep his commandments. It is brought into action in the life of every true believer. First Corinthians 13 is an expression of what? Obedience to God's law. Now see, we often don't, you know, we often don't connect these thoughts, and that's why we need to read it every day. You know, when you were young, we have some mothers. We have some parents in this room, I being one of them. We taught our children to do things every day. There were certain things our parents wanted us to do every day. Why? <clears throat>
1: Just like makes you character.
0: Okay, it makes you character. This we need to do every day. Because it will affect no, we could be legalistic about it. We can say, okay, thank you, brother. You read it for us. We've heard it. We've checked it off the list. Today we've read First Corinthians thirteen. Okay, not, what do we do next? Okay. We could do it that way. We could do it in a very legalistic way, but that's not our intention. It's to be transformed. And it's easy for us, especially as we gain in biblical knowledge and spiritual life forget the importance of this. Now, you're all familiar with uh, the Conflict Series. There's five books that were written, and they're called the Conflict Series. I remember my first time to read those. I was 19 years old. I was like, wow, this is amazing stuff. And it still is amazing stuff. And what's the name of that first book?
2: Patriarchs and
0: Prophets. Okay, Patriarchs and Prophets. The first sentence in Patriarchs and Prophets. Okay? God is love. His nature, his law, is love. It ever has been, it ever will be. Interesting that God's servant opened up this set of commentaries, thousands of pages long, with God, his love. Every manifestation of creative power is an expression of infinite love. Isn't yeah, that great? We look out, even this world is, is, is and it's beautiful. The nature, you know, ministers to our, it's so good to see the sun today. It's like, I've been here since when? Oh yes, they do have the sun here, it's great. you know. And, and I've been here many, many times in June, in the summer, and enjoyed the, the, the sunshine we get up here in Scandinavia. Um, but his creative acts is the evidence of infinite love. The history, of the great conflict between good and evil from the time it first began in heaven to the final overthrow of rebellion and the total eradication of sin is also a demonstration of God's unchanging love. That is the theme in which we will look into for eternity. This is the principle, this is the dynamic, this is the characteristic of God that sustains all eternity in every living thing. Now, patriarchs and prophets. The next one, prophets and, prophets and kings. kings. Desire of ages. Actually, apostles. Great and the last one, controversy. great controversy. We don't have time this morning to read. You know, all those. It's, I recommend it highly, and, and uh, it's, it's great reading more than once. But we don't have time. But we read the first sentence, a few sentences of Patriarchs and Prophets. We're going to span all those ages and we're going to go down to the last paragraph in Great Controversy. And see, at the closing of this series, what does she say? The Great Controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all, flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare
2: God is, God love. God is, love.
0: God is love. So, at the opening, the first words are God is, God God is love. love. Closing, God is love. Okay. Read First Corinthians, how often? Every day. Every day. Is there something we need to grasp more deeply? Without this heaven-born love, without this Christ-born love, all other qualifications are what? Worth. Worthless. And I dare say they will become harmful. And so God wants to spare us from that. Now as attractive as Jesus is and he's wonderfully attractive it is very hard for the world to bear it okay when he was here could they receive him most could not you know be comfortable in his presence our little world is a lesson book for what have you read that the universe, isn't that amazing? Our little world. In some she says our world is but an atom in the universe. Isn't that amazing? I mean, when you look out, and you know, we don't now we got these telescopes. And they, every week, you know, they're, they're they're seeing new things, and you think the size of our world in comparison is just amazing. And you understand why years ago, hundred years ago, she said our world is but an atom in the universe. And our world is a lesson book for where universe. God's wonderful purpose of grace, and that's the theme of the convention, transforming grace. The mystery of redeeming love is the theme into which angels desire to look, and it will be their study throughout endless ages. So what are you going to be studying for endless ages? Yeah, is redeeming love. Both the redeemed and the unfallen beings will find in the cross of Christ their science and their sorrow. It will be seen that the glory shining in the face of Jesus is the glory of self-sacrificing love. In the light from Calvary, it will be seen that the law of self-renouncing love is the law of life for earth and heaven. That the love which seeks not her own has its source in the heart of God. And in the meek and lowly one is manifested the character of him who dwelt in the light which no man can approach him unto. So the glory shining from the face of Jesus is the glory of self-sacrificing love. Is that some glory we'd like to have? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll do what? I will draw all men unto myself. When we see his goodness, when we see his kindness, when we see his the love that he has for us, it draws us. We may resist. Too often, we do resist. But we're drawn. We long to be able to not only receive it, but to share it, to partake of it, so it becomes part and substance of, of who we are. The Bible talks about in Christ we live and move and have our being. And and that's true, you see. We only breathe. Why are we breathing today? Why do we have food to eat today? Because God has provided. Yeah. Because of the sacrifice of Christ. Okay? The cross of Christ has allowed this to happen. When I was an atheist, when I was uh, pagan, when I was when I was without I was never without God. But when I thought I was without God, who kept my heart beating? Yeah. You see, it was in Christ that I lived and moved and had my being. I just didn't know it. Okay? Just because I denied God's existence, what did that change? Did that change the universe? Did that change that he... No. In Christ, we live and move and have our being, and it's his desire that he will be in us and we will live and move. Not just be sustaining us, but it's his goodness, it's his love that causes the rain to shine upon the just and the unjust. And as we get this more fully, then as we think of serving and leading and responding to God's call, it will be a great blessing to us. You see? Because too often, um, in my own life, as I've sat in ministries around the world, and you know, often when you go to a ministry, you're dealing with the problems. Okay? You go to an annual board meeting, you go to this, you go to that, and you're dealing with the challenges. Some on your faces understand what I'm, what I'm talking about. Because we're all fallen and we're all sinful, we're all selfish, and you get all these selfish people together, and often unpleasant things happen. But if we if we can get this more fully, if we are motivated, like remember what Paul said. Paul says the love of Christ is what constraining. constraining. Now you know what restraint is, man. I know what restraint is. I hated it all my life. I hated restraint. okay. It was like. I don't like red lights. I like green lights. Okay. <laughs> red lights make me what? Yeah, they, they make me stop. They restrain me. You see? and, and, and not, I noticed in my children as they grew up; they didn't like to be restrained either. You know, just you know, you, but constraint—totally different thing. Okay, there are those who profess to serve God. I wonder how many of us in this room would fit in that statement. I won't ask, but I'm mean, just putting it there for you. There are those who profess to serve God while they rely on their own efforts to obey his law, to form a right character, and secure salvation. Their hearts are not moved by any deep sense of the love of Christ, but they seek to perform the duties of the Christian life as that which God requires of them in order to gain heaven. They are not moved by what? A deep sense of the love that God has for them. They're motivated by something else. Okay? They seek to perform these duties as that which God requires of them in order to gain salvation. Such religion is worth what? Nothing. Well, come on. It's gotta be worth something. I mean, I mean, at least I'm not out drinking and doing drugs and you know, hurting all these people like I used to. I mean, it's gotta be worth something that i have a reformed life and i'm eating vegetarians and i'm not hurting the animals and i'm <laughs> being careful about the environment i mean isn't that worth something isn't it, oh, it says here such religion is worth how much nothing nothing When Christ dwells in the heart, the soul will be so filled with his love, with the joy of communion with him, that that it will cleave to him, and in contemplation of himself will be forgotten. Love to Christ will be the spring of action. Those who feel the constraining love of God will not ask how little may be given to meet the requirements of God. They will not ask for the lowest standard, but aim at perfect conformity, to the will of their Redeemer. With earnest desire they yield all and manifest an interest proportionate to the value of the object they seek. A profession of Christ without this deep love is mere talk, dry formality, and heavy drudgery. Mm-hmm. Now I'm glad I didn't write any of that. And Many of you are familiar with that from the steps to Christ. Okay. What do we do with these things? to apply it. What? Try to apply apply it. it. Pray for a miracle. You know, the the, the publican lay down on the floor, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Mm -hmm. I'm going to confess something and I'm almost sorry it's being recorded. Recently, I was in two very large Seventh-day Adventist churches and I was so repulsed by by the grandeur, by the extravagance, by the show, by the fashion, by, by the display of human what we have to offer, what we have to boast. And it was painful for me to be there. I think how my life at times must be to God. Painful. If we're not motivated by this deep love for Christ, let's, let's, let's go do something somewhere else. Let's stop giving the Adventist community and the Adventist church a bad name. Because people see. People are watching us. Trust me, uh, we had the privilege to live overseas for many, many years, 15 years in Africa. And let me tell you, in Africa, people are watching you. You are a great source of interest, entertainment at times, but trust me, you don't move or go or do much of anything without somebody carefully watching what you're doing. They would come and tell me, you know, a year and a half later on December 14th at 2 o'clock, you were here. like, wow. No. How, how do you guys know all this stuff? Oh, we're watching. We're watching. Okay. That's okay. It's good. It's a good reminder for us. But we read earlier who's also watching? The universe. Okay. And they're wanting to see us respond to this love that God has for us, to to, to, to be immersed in it, to be captivated by it, and then to serve by it. We often have other motivations for service than the constraining love of Christ. Are there Christian duties to perform? Sure. Sure. Have you performed some of them? I'm
2: going
0: to do this if it kills me. I was taught such things. It doesn't work. For those of you that have children, you'll understand, even those of you that don't. The Lord blessed us with two sons. They are the joy of our lives. Now, we have three grandchildren, and they increase that joy greatly. It's inexplicable. But two boys, she has two boys, at least, and uh, they're playing together, and inevitably something happens, something goes amiss with these two boys, and one brother does something to the other brother that is not appropriate. Okay, Something inappropriate happens. One does something he should not do, one is crying, you know, life's experience happened. And so I would say to the son who was in the wrong, who had done a misdeed to his brother, tell your brother he's sorry. You're sorry. Tell your brother you're sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah.
2: Right.
0: How much repentance was in that boy's heart? Right. you? know, don't tell him you're sorry, you are going to get a beating. Now, I don't have to say those words, but I mean, he, he sees it. Okay? What kind of picture of God am I giving this child of six years old, forcing him to be legalistic, forcing him to say something is not in his heart? And I thought to myself, how can you do this? This is incredible. See, I learned that from my parenting, my mother, when I got in fights with my brothers. You know, I, that's how we were treated. That's how we were dealt with. You know, it was the right thing to do to say you're sorry. And so I imposed those tactics. It wasn't the constraining love of Christ that was helping me at that moment with my children. Now, God is merciful. They recovered from those, you know, those early days, and somehow they survived this this type of parenting that I imposed upon them. But God's plan is that this constraining love, this this what we read in 1 Corinthians 13, this meditating, this review of it daily, is to transform us, is to teach us about this heaven-born love. And it must come into all our relationships. Would you agree? We We can't leave it for somewhere else, for someone else, as as we come in Um, as we serve how do we serve I'm I'm very fascinated by cross-cultural ministries Um, I've been studying about it a little bit lately and here we have a lot of different cultures involved. And, and it's funny, after you live overseas, so lived, we've lived overseas much of our, our lives, and we enjoy it uh, very, very much. I'm honored in that, in that. I've been asked to serve in Europe and in Africa, And as I was meeting with someone this morning, you know, oh, I think it was Manuela. You know, I said, you know, why ASI Europe would ask an American to serve as the vice president? This just, you know, doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I lived in France as a youth, and then I, uh, and they said, well, you know, we never really considered you American. (laughs) I said, you know, oh, that's an honor, you know, that's that, well, I think it's an honor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but, As we serve cross-culturally, this American guy wrote a book, and uh, he started to notice some things weren't uh, working very well. And so he went around to these different countries, and as he was there, he asked them, as missionaries, what would help us minister Christ to you more effectively? And the overwhelming answer from all over the world was, you could minister Christ to us more effectively if you didn't think you were so much superior to us. Somehow, even as Christians, going overseas to serve, to minister, the message that people get is what? We're better. We're superior. And I look back, you know, as I saw that, I look back to my early years, and as I'm full of it, you know, just full of that attitude, and it comes out in so many different ways. But love, if I would have this more fully, love will conquer that. Okay? Now, God has called you to something. I'm not sure what it is. He'll make it sure to you. How do we respond to this? This was the foundation I wanted to, to put that. Without this, don't think of another call. Don't think of going and doing something else. You know I've had to tell missionaries in Africa, you know the best thing that could happen here, it's obvious you don't love these people. You have no affection for them. The sooner you go back to where you came from, the better it will be for you, the better it will be for them. Now that's a hard thing to tell a fellow missionary. Okay, but if after 15 years you look around I can't trust these people there's not one of these people I can trust they are not trustworthy well if after 15 years you haven't found one you're probably not going to find one unless something really significant happens in your life because they read us like a book and when you don't have affection you don't have love for people there is absolutely no way you can minister successfully to them they may tolerate your presence you know why? Because you bring asset, you bring resource, you bring all kinds of things, material things that they desire and they want to have and so they suffer tolerating you for the benefit they get. And everybody loses. Because the material benefit they're getting is momentary. It's going to pass. So, as we serve, this deep love, this affection has to become Practical. Now we're going to say that happens and God's putting burden on your heart for ministry. I hope he does. I don't know anyone that should be a Christian that isn't called of God to serve. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what it is for each of you individually. But I can encourage you this that as God puts it in your heart he will open the doors for you to go forward. Our eldest son was 15 years old. We're living in Tanzania. We have some refugees from South Sudan at our school there at Kibidula. The stories from these students just break our sons' hearts. And Stella came down. South Sudan had the longest civil war in history, current history, 24 years ongoing civil war. Now, last week, two weeks ago, you know, it started again. Anyway, Stella's mother finally gets her and her two and her sisters out of the out of the country. They can't use the roads. The roads are filled with landmines. The soldiers are everywhere. They crawl through the bush months on end and they finally get out of the bush and they get into northern Uganda. They find a bus. And the mother is so relieved. She gets on the bus with her two daughters. And within two kilometers, the soldiers come out of the bush. They got AK forty sevens, and they get on. They stop the bus, and they get on. Now, the man stops. He looks at Stella's mother. Looks at the girls. Are these? Are these your daughters? Yeah. Take your daughters and get off this bus. Now the fear. Okay. I mean, if you knew what these soldiers do to women. In, girl. The, the anguish in her heart when she heard that. But as the soldier took her off the bus he says, now you leave. And no matter what you hear you don't come back here. You go. And you keep going. And they get 50 meters away and the soldiers shoot everybody on the bus. And they hear the cries and they hear the anguish and they hear the hope and they're running for the ride. Every young person that came to us had this type of story. So in our home, Friday night, we're having vespers, and we go through one of these testimonies, and the students leave our home, and, and Jabel, 15 years old, he comes to us and he says, I want to be a missionary to South Sudan. I want to go help those people. And my wife says, Jabal, it's dangerous in South Sudan. And he looks at us and he says, just because it's dangerous, does that mean people don't need to look for Jesus? I tell you, what do you tell a 15-year-old kid that's been raised in the... Yeah, all right? His mother said, okay, but they won't let you go at 15. Okay? And he couldn't go at 15. They said, you can go at 18. And somehow... That burden stayed in his heart all those years. And the day he was 18, he was gone. Into a country with a vicious civil war, bombs dropping, landmines, people putting AK-47s to your head. And he took his 17-year-old brother. He took his 18-year-old cousin. And people would come to us and say, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? To let teenagers... Go off into the middle of a civil war. Hey. What am I thinking? <laughs> Good question. I'm thinking I'm not going to interfere with the call of God in the life of my son. We taught him to pray. We taught him to serve. We, did The best we knew how, we ministered to him. He grew up building schools, building churches, starting agricultural projects, doing clinics. The most natural thing in the world, but why he had to choose there? Because there was a great need. And I, his parents, we could only encourage him in the call that God had put upon his heart. Was it crazy? Sure, it was crazy by, by human perspective. And we could have tried to keep the younger brother, but that would have been a total disaster. Okay? And somehow, at 17, he, you know, he convinced them to let him into the country. And God used these kids in a wonderful way. That's not the purpose of today. Okay? But God used them to be a tremendous blessing to our people in South Sudan. They were able to build the first permanent buildings in 40 years. Churches, schools, the children were being taken into the rebel army. Okay, People come with guns to the village and they take every kid over 10 years old and they take them to the front lines. And as they got the school bill, they negotiated with the, with the soldiers of John Garang, who was the rebel leader in South Sudan at the time, that if the kids are enrolled in school, you can't take them into the army and sent them to the front lines. Now these men knew that, hey, in the future, we're going to need kids that can read and write. We're going to need to rebuild this country. And they agreed. So they had about 400 kids in elementary school coming in the morning. They had about the same number coming to the school in the afternoon for secondary school. All the teachers were Seventh-day Adventists. Mm-hmm. And when they had a political rally, John Grant came leaders came, and they said, you know what? We want the Seventh-day Adventist Church to be responsible for all our schools in South Sudan. These boys have been the only people that have come here and built permanent schools and permanent buildings for our children because they believe we have a future. No one else has come here and built believing we have a future. But the Adventists believe there's a future for us here in South Sudan. The church could not respond to that. But but that honor, that appeal, was a very significant statement on the work that had been done. So, I share this in that the kids, they were kids. They had a burden put in their heart from God, and they responded to that call. And as they responded, God provided the resources. I mean, come on, they're 18 years old. Their parents have worked for. When we went to Riverside in 1983, our allowance was $75 a month. Okay. I was making $120 a day before we went. And I get there and $75 a month. That's no, fine. People thought, well, are you crazy? I mean, God is able to provide abundantly. So they had no. We weren't funding them. Okay? But God provided those resources for them to go forward with a vision they had for service. He will do the same for each of us, if that comes. Daniel has a ministry. I have no idea how he's funded. But I'm sure when he started, I'm sure even today, his resources get very low at times. He's not doing what he's doing because he believes it's a good idea. He's doing what he's doing because God's called him to do it. God's going to lead you to do a lot of things that don't seem to be a good idea. When he called Abraham. Abraham, where are you going? I'm not really sure. Abraham was calling you. God, God's calling me. God's calling you. Okay. But where are you going? Well, I don't know. How much sense does this make? How, how do you think Abraham's family was responding to him when God called him? It said like God took him out to a land that he didn't know. He didn't know how he was going to be sustained. All he knew was that God was calling him and he was obeying. Now, why are we obeying? We covered earlier. If we're not obeying because the love of Christ constrains us, I don't want to encourage anybody to respond to any call. But if we're responding because of that, then that's a different story. Would you agree? Now, as you, uh, that happens in your life. You know, Jabal, our son, you know, he had a small team. He had his brother, he had his cousin, he had another kid from from, um, Mission College of Evangelism. And uh, so he's responsible. So there's a certain amount of leadership, would you agree, that's going to come. Sometimes it can be a small family ministry, sometimes it's much larger. But how do we lead, how do we serve? the people that God puts with us. And um, I came across something recently that I want to share. And uh, this was a real rebuke to me. And, And as I think of leadership skills, this is a statement to us. The Lord does not accept the work of any man and I might say woman, that is not done in tenderness and love and kindness. If I want God to accept my work, and I, and I do want him to accept my work, he says he will not accept the work of any man, and I put w- with women in there, that is not done in tenderness, love and kindness. He has not set as his rulers to lord it over his heritage. Let others be moved by Christ, just as we desire to be moved by him. Jesus was tender, he was kind, he was compassionate. And every instruction he gave his disciples was because he loved them. You believe that? So, if we're to be servants, responding to God's call for service, and, you know, this is Sabbath school. If you teach Sabbath school to the children, it doesn't matter. Each of us have a sphere of influence. We will give direction to somebody. And as we're giving direction to people, if we don't do it in tenderness, in kindness, and in love, it's not acceptable to God. He's not set as his rulers to the Lord. God wants every person to begin at home. Oh. Where? Home. home. And there live the Christ life. In the church and in every business transaction, a man will be just what he is in his home. Ooh. If he submits to the Holy Spirit's guidance in the home, if he understands his responsibility to deal with minds there, then when in responsible positions, he will pursue the same course. Remembering the tenderness of Christ toward him, He will manifest the same love and tenderness towards others. So when I think of leadership skills I can't emphasize this enough. Because in my own leadership, in the home in the institution, I have failed too often to have this be the constraining motive. It's easy for me to get impatient. It's easy for me when there's problems that arise because people do, excuse me, stupid things, okay, I mean, what were they thinking when they, okay, you just blew up the motor, man, you know, it was like, okay? they do something that's totally, you know, This is this is, you know, in my mind, my feeble human mind, there's no excuse for this, okay, and it's exceedingly expensive, and now it's destroyed, and I got to respond with tenderness and kindness. Right? Mm-hmm. Humanly, this is impossible. That's why the love we read about is a heavenly birth. Yeah. See? And if this is not consistent in our leadership, it's better for us. And, and there's many statements that say this. It's better. The sooner we're out of leadership, the better for everybody else and for ourselves. And Ellen White is very clear on that. That God hasn't given it to us to dictate to other people go here, go there, do this, do that. Like they don't have (coughs) minds of their own. And they aren't free moral agents. Remember how Christ deals with us and then we can deal with others in the same way. Now, In ministry, even in this convention, there's a lot of things that need to get done. Dishes need to get washed. Food needs to get prepared. There's there's thousands of things that have to happen and people need to do them. Is that right? So how do we get people to do things that need to be done in God's way, and we can start down that path. Someone keep time for me because I'm—I can use jet lag as excuse. I haven't known what time it's been since I arrived. Okay, so we go until one. one? Okay, so we'll we'll start down a, a path, uh, and we'll give you some. Bible text. Uh, I'd like you to look up Matthew chapter six, verses nine to fourteen. When someone
1: has that, they would read it. Matthew six to nine to fourteen. Mm-hmm. But if you forgive
0: men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Thank you. What is this passage known as? The
2: Lord's the Lord's the
0: Lord's We're familiar with that. Yeah. Okay. And probably most of us have memorized in our own language this passage. Would you agree? It's very, very familiar. Now, there's something very fundamental at the beginning of that prayer that gives us guidance. Okay? Now, I'm going to assume, for lack of a... And that's not fair to assume anything. That's very dangerous. Okay, We've read in Scripture how people wanted authority with the disciples. And the mother came to Jesus and said, you know, hey, when you get into your kingdom, can one beyond the right and one beyond the left. And, and then there was that dispute, you know, they just crushed Jesus' heart as he's going in the upper room. And, you know, on the way, these guys, what are these disputing? The disciples, yeah. You see, who, who's the greatest? Okay. And, and here they've been with him this time, and they've been watching him, they've been seeing him, he's ministering, and he tells them, listen, the son of man came to minister not to be ministered unto. I'm, I'm among you as one who serves. And I'm your master. And, and he set them that example, but it's so hard for fallen humanity to get it, even when you're associated with Jesus, as, as the disciples were. You see? It was hard for them to understand. He says, no, it's not going to be like with the Gentiles, where the ones with power lord it over them. That's not how it's going to be with you. But, you know, they didn't know how to be any other way. When something's always the same, you know, been the same for you and your experience, and Jesus tells you something very different, you don't have a reference point. And the disciples had no reference point for any other type of leadership than what they'd been exposed to. Okay, the priests, the Sadducees, the Jewish economy had demonstrated how things should be done. And the big guys make the rules and the little guys follow the rules. Okay, The wealthy decide what is going to go on and the poor people do what's supposed to go on. The idea that that these peasant farmers were to think and act for themselves, I mean, forget about them. These guys, they just do what they're told. We don't pay them to think. We even had that. You know, have you heard that before? Even in today in society, I don't pay you to think. I just pay you to do what?
2: what I'm telling you
0: yeah to do what i tell you to do okay this is this is humanity and the disciples they struggled with that what other concept is there and jesus was demonstrating it okay so we're going to say right off that that the type of leadership the type of authority we see practiced in the world around us may be familiar it may even feel comfortable but it is not what heaven wants in this prayer Jesus prayed taught us to pray thy kingdom come right what's the next part thy will be done done, where on earth earth, (laughs) like what like it's done in heaven wow Jesus taught us to pray Lord thy will be done here like it's done where like it's done in heaven will Jesus answer this prayer? Or did he teach us to pray for something that can't happen? No. He wouldn't teach us to pray for something that isn't going to happen. He wants this kingdom to come. He wants us to want his kingdom to come. And he wants his will to be done on earth like it's done on heaven. So that would tell us we have to look to heaven to see how things get done and not to earth. If we look on earth, we'll see how earth gets things done. But if we look to heaven, then we'll see how things get done in heaven. And then that will be a model, that will be a guide for us on how to get things done here. Right? Do things get done in this world? Yeah. We're driving cars. Somebody made them. Right? We're eating food. We didn't grow. Somehow things get done in this world. What motivates most of the things in this world, as we know it, as we experience, to get done?
2: Money. Oh,
0: that's quick, isn't it? Money. Yeah, there's a saying, money makes the world go around, right? That's not true, but it's it's, it's it's said a great deal. There's another saying, money changes everything. Okay. Yeah. People, they've done research in America, and, and pretty much every person has a price to do things, that they're not comfortable doing if you pay them enough, yeah. okay? And they just stop people on the street and they say, say, "I'm walking along. And I see Daniel. and I'm doing the experiment. Man, I really like that shirt. You know, um, you know. I'll, I'll give you five dollars." He's saying, "No, man. Hey, I like my shirt. You know." And well, I'll give you twenty-five dollars, and he starts thinking. You know, get, at some point, every person had a price at which they would take the shirt and give it to him. And then they went for the person's pants. No, it's just true. Okay? And, they, and, and, and it's like, you know, right here in the street. Yeah, right, are oh, you crazy? No, right, you know, which just, you know. And, and everybody, when it came to 500 bucks, sure, man. <laughs> okay. they, they could get over their discomfort. And for the right price, they would do the transaction. Now, that's harmless enough, okay, clothing. But it illustrates the point that most of us in humanity, are motivated that if someone gives us enough money, we can find a way. Okay. And by and large, most people in the Western world get up and they go to work for what? For For money. Pretty close to slavery. Okay, And many Americans will tell you they feel like slaves. Well, they got nice cars, and they got TVs, and they have houses, okay, but they're bound by this monetary system that gets them out of bed every day to go to work. I have a friend, uh, a Adventist businessman, good friends for years, and, and one day he said to me, and I'd never hire a guy like you. Because <laughs> I don't owe any money. I don't have any loans. Never have had any loans. Okay? He says, you're way too independent. I want my bank president, I know where he's going to be 6 o'clock Monday morning. Okay? I want him to have a house he's paying for, I want him to have a car he's paying for, I want his kids in private schools. I want him to be having so many bills, I know where he's going to be Monday morning at 6 o'clock. He's going to be right where I need him to be. Okay? Now that's a sad commentary for, for both. I don't want anybody to be in that position, but for his business, he needs everybody in that position. And so most people in America, and I would say by and large in the Western world, are motivated by money. What they do, how they spend their time, how they spend their energy is guided by money. Now let's go to heaven. Are there some angels in heaven? Yeah. there's there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a text that uh, tells us about some of those angels um, let's see where Psalms 103 19 and 20 the Lord <coughs> the Lord has
1: established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all bless the Lord you you his angels who excel in strength who do his word healing the voice of his word.
0: So there's angels. And it says there they're blessed. And what are they doing?
2: God's will.
0: Well, they're what? They're
2: doing God's will. They're doing
0: God's will.
2: They'll be 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Right.
0: Do <laughs> you think angels do what they're told? Yeah. That, that's what it says.
2: Faithfully. But not for money.
0: Is that because God gives them a benefit? Hey, you know, Gabriel, you did this, and I'll make sure. (laughs) you get a long weekend. (laughs) Another motivator in this world is fear. People do things out of fear. Now you see that more. I mean, even even people that do things for money, they have fear of loss. Okay, well if I don't go to work I'm gonna lose my house, I'm gonna lose my car, they have these anxieties, they they have these fears. Okay. But there's other people that you stick a gun in their head and tell them to do something, what are they gonna do? Yeah, they're gonna do what they're told. Okay. Is that why Gabriel does what he's told? Man. Yeah. I don't know do what God says. I mean, come on. He's bigger than I am. I mean, obviously, the guy who created the universe. I mean, is that why? Is he, is he afraid not to do what he's told?
2: No.
0: Why does he do what he's told? Love, him. Love him. Okay. Yeah. Can I just ask if the angels
2: get rest also? Is if they, they get rest? rest? Yes. That's, what, that's a good question.
0: The Bible talks about angels that excel in strength. I mean, I don't know if they need rest. I think every seven day they or need not. rest. I mean that rest doesn't mean
2: that you, you stay like
0: okay. You stay I hear you right. right. Like right. maybe
2: just worship or something. Right,
0: sure. Well, I would say this is that we need and I, I need sleep. Yes. Some, it's, <laughs> think, yeah. but there's times when we 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 need rest. Why well, I need rest, you know. I, whether angels have that need, I am not aware of. I don't. I don't get the feeling that they do. But but it's not unless someone can give me some Bible verses that depict that. It says that on the new earth there is no night. There's no night. Yeah. Some, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No time mm-hmm. for sleep. <laughs> Yeah. But they do things because they love to do. It. So if we're going to do things for God, it goes back to where we started: the love of Christ constraineth us, and God will ask us to do difficult things. Okay, I don't. Want, I don't want you to think that everything. You've gotta be careful here. Everything that God asks is easy. It's not. Okay, there's many difficult things that he asks us to do and yet it's a joy um, to do what's right brings freedom it brings peace to do wrong brings what? now let's use John Huss as an example of that y'all familiar with John Huss? Mm-hmm. Huss and Jerome you know God worked with them wonderfully and, and they're thrown in prison and they're Mistreated and, and 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 Jerome gets killed and and in the darkness and in the despair, John Huss recants. Oh, Jerome! No, no. Yeah, it was Huss. It
2: was
0: Okay. Well, you, I, I will accept, but. I will. I will. So we will look at the great controversy. One of them. Let's just say one of them. Um, He can't. And the other one is left. So now he can live. He's brought back to his cell. Now life gets difficult. Now real torment sets in. And he's brought out before the papacy again and told to publicly renounce. And he says, the only thing I can renounce is what I said about my friend. He was a godly man all the days I knew him. And you've kept me in here. You are letting the flesh rot off my bones. And the worst thing I've ever had is my conscience for what I said here last time I was here. And so they took him out to burn him, and as I remember, They snuck up behind with the flame and he says, come hold the flame boldly before my face. If I was afraid, what? I wouldn't be here. okay? So while it's hard to follow God at times, not following him is far more difficult. And it's the love that he has for us, the love we have for him that will enable us to do what we're told. As we work with others, in whatever leadership capacity, in in what God calls us to, as leaders, we need to have that same position with each one. That it's the foundation is love. And if we give orders, if we give directives to people, And it's not founded in love. We're living beneath our privilege. And if we're taking orders from someone, feeling like we're oppressed, we're living beneath our privilege. And this will happen. I was at a ministry, loved it, was in good relationship with the leader, and a new guy came. And I tell you, this guy was a dictator, man. He was bad news. He was just, you know. I didn't know temperaments at the time, he was very choleric. He was organized and he knew how things should be. And I remember going back in tears in the warehouse, falling on a 50 kilo sack of whole wheat flour and just pleading with God Lord, I can't stand this man. I cannot see one good thing in him, and you brought him here as a leader, and he's a minister. Something has to change. Now, if you brought him here, okay, but it was hard. It was hard to take orders from someone that I didn't think was tender and kind and loving. He was none of those things as far as I was concerned. And as far as some other people were concerned. But I realized I had to get at peace with this. If I was there because I believe God called me, and there was a job that I needed to do, and there was a job I needed to do, I wasn't going to live in this condition to where I was being bossed around by someone, and I could not respond with a Christian spirit to do what I was told. And it took more than one session in that warehouse with God to get me to where I could handle the situation, I could work through it. Now, eventually I left that ministry, not too far away, but I left. And I became the Bible worker for opening up, a, for starting a church in a dark area. And because this person was a pastor, he was the district pastor. So he was in charge of what, you know, little church plant that my wife and I were doing. And uh, so one day I went to his home, and I informed him I'm doing a five-day plan. I'm, next Wednesday night, I'm going to start a five-day plan, or whatever night it was. It's going to be at the hospital, and this is how I'm going to do it. And I was, this is my plan. And he looked at me, and he says, good. He says, I'll come. You do the spiritual, and I'll do the medical, I'll do the health. And he starts to describe to me his participation in this program, and I'm looking, and I'm fuming. I'm looking at this guy. And he's like, "Where do you get off? I, this is my five-day plan, right? I, I set up ownership. I, I had, okay. I'm just informing you because that's, you know, I'm subject. I'm in subjection to you. You're here by the, you know, conference, and you're the district pastor. So I'm telling you. And then he began to tell me what he's going to do, and inside I was just, trust me. Tenderness, kindness, you know, no, no, those thoughts were, were far away. But I had to submit. What am I going to do? Okay. By the end of the third night of doing this five-day plan, I had fallen in love with the guy. He was so good at what he did. He was amazing. I mean, he was giving them a thousandfold more than I could ever give them. And he, I mean, he just had it organized, he had it done, he had the right information. And by the end of the five day plan, it's like my admiration was exceeded whatever negative attitudes I had towards him. Then we did a cookie school, then we did a nutrition school, then we went to workers' meetings together, and we became best friends. No way. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there was nobody I ever disliked more than I disliked this guy. Okay? And I want not tell you who he is because some of you will know him, and uh, we've become very dear to one another, and we've worked around the world together. And and when I would get somewhere, and people would get the feelings about him that I had, I, I put my arm around them. Like, Listen, I understand. Believe me, I understand what you're feeling. But there's more to this picture, okay? That you're not seeing because <clears throat> because I didn't see it. But. So we will be we will be in positions where we will take orders from people that are not angels, yeah. and we think, well, you know, if the people I work with were angels, then 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 I could take orders. But the guy I work with is not an angel. Well, maybe he is, but <laughs> fallen angel. I don't know. <laughs> 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 okay, but. There's a lesson for it. God has allowed people to be in positions, And you've read the statement, God is able to remove people, isn't he? If a man needs to be moved, God's well able to move him. It doesn't have to be my job to do that. But the key thought here is to learn to serve, to be in subjection with a heart of love. Did Jesus subject himself to some things that weren't best? That weren't good for his health? Mm-hmm. That weren't his primary plan? Did he have to? I mean, he's the king of the universe. Jesus had the power, he had the authority to change anytime he wished. But he chose to live in subjection. We can choose that. And you know, one thing I learned through that experience was. <coughs> All those things that I didn't like that were happening to me, woe unto to me if I repeated them to somebody else. Okay? But let's be careful. Often, what we see happening to us that we don't like, we will inflict on someone else later on. And, and that lesson always stuck with me. Heaven gets things done, not by fear, not by bribery, not by force, but by love. As we respond to the call that God's put in us to serve, to lead, to start a work somewhere, this has to permeate, and we can go forward. Now, let me say that in closing, you will still often get a lot of criticism from your brethren, from your sisters, from other people that would like to come in there's people, and I don't know them. And I'm, What I'm going to say next is a statement of faith and experience. There's people that would like to guide living waters, that would like to change how Daniel does it. There's people that would like to remove Clyde from Lifestyle TV and do something else. Okay? Those people exist. I don't know them. But I know that that is a reality. And to navigate in the church, in the body of Christ is a very delicate matter, because there's men who want to control everything that happens. And they feel, if they don't have control, that you are an outlaw, you're a radical, you're a renegade. You're if They have come to me and said, if you were really faithful to the church, then you would give your property to the union, and the union would decide what happens here. Oh yeah, sure, that's that. Let me tell you, that's not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> they, okay. and, 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 and they cannot make that happen. Okay, But they're sincere. They believe what they're saying. And you enter into many negotiations. And in those negotiations, the same spirit of love has to prevail. Tenderness, kindness, respect. Okay. It's very easy to get into contention and to go to war. But let me tell you, I've watched that happen. Nobody wins in in that scenario. Uh, It's very, in in my other seminar, we'll talk more about the history of supporting ministries and how they started and how, how we navigate. It's a very delicate matter to navigate a supporting ministry in a significant and substantial contribution. And it comes down to this understanding that we're talking about of Christian administration, of how does heaven get things done? How do we relate to it? Are we willing in our ministries to let Christ move our brethren and our sisters just like we want Christ to move us? Or do we feel we have to dictate what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, and how they're going to do it? These are challenges that we'll face as we go along. Our time's up, pretty much. You may have some questions. I focused on one fundamental principle that I feel without it, as I read, everything else is useless. Everything else we do will be worthless. And I've I've worked with ministry leaders around the world that are, they get stubborn. They get they just get planted in one place, and they are going to do what they're going to do because God's telling them to do it. And nobody's going to tell them not to do it. And they end up making enemies needlessly. Okay, and and uh, it's not that I want to find fault. I just uh, I just long to see people not become isolated. Mm-hmm. Okay, And it's very easily, uh, as Seventh-day Adventists, to isolate ourselves. It's very easy for us to be independent. I'm a very independent person. I, I pride myself, unfortunately, in that I've been too independent. And, and I see the price that, that God's work suffers because we won't come together. It's, it's, and yet at the same time, we need to leave people freedom. We need to leave them room. If God's put a burden on Michael's heart to do something, it's a work that God's called him to do. I don't need to be there and, and smothering him and dictating to him. I need to let God work. And if God raises up his work, blessings on him. To, to encourage him, to support him. Um, to become a Seventh-day Adventist is not easy. Okay? It wasn't easy for me. When I became a Seventh-day Adventist, um, my father left before I was born the only parent I knew was my mother so she was the dearest person in my life when I became an Adventist she disowned me disinherited me and told me you're the worst disappointment in my life she was the most important person in my life by far there was nobody that had my affections had my admiration than my mother to, to go through that was not easy. But trust me, if I was willing to sacrifice her relationship, all the rest of them were a piece of cake. You follow me? It's like, if I'm, if I'm willing to, to let go of that one, then I can be pretty independent from everybody else because the most tender, the strongest human tie that I had was cut off. And so it's easy to become independent. It's easy to stand on God's Word and say, though the heavens fall... I'm standing here. And we need that character, characteristic. But, without love, what's it worth? All other qualifications are worthless. So let's get the most essential one, and then as we look to heaven, as we look to Christ, we can get the other qualifications on how to work, on how to go forward. Um, well, what's, with some cultures, it works better than others. I would say the, the Northern Europeans went to the United States. Um, in, in Africa, you could dominate slaves. When you got to the United States, the Indians, when you got to America, no, the United States. When you got to North America, or Indians. Forget about it. They tried to enslave them and to make them work on the plantations and in the Indian thing. I'm like, Forget this, I'm out of here. Okay? They, they were not going to, to subdue it. And what some, uh, in, the, in New Hampshire, where my wife is from, the license plate says, live free or die. Okay? There's, there's a very strong um, desire for freedom yeah. and, and, and fear kind of gets cast to the wind. I'd rather die than be subject to you so there's that uh, but I agree with you in some cultures the fear factor is much greater than the money
1: what, what I actually meant was uh, you say loss aversion is stronger than the, 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 the potential of gain yes so that, that for the for Western countries it's money so I'm, I'm more afraid of losing money than I am and I'm more happy to gain money yes so and, and what it is differs from, from the culture but like this loss aversion has shown to be consistent mm-hmm.
0: We say what happens, and, and the, the, the quotation that Christ alluded to it is that if our desire for heaven is fear of hell, and many peoples it is, okay, are, you know, or desire of heaven, you know, I'd rather gain heaven, or I'm afraid of going to hell. Neither of those motives are heaven born, and yet in our churches you will find the root of our being here is one of those two, is that I'm doing this because I believe if I'm going to have heaven, then I got to do these things. Or if I don't want to go to hell, I don't do those things. And they've done a survey among Adventist young people and most of them have no use for the Ten Commandments, but they got to do them because they'll go to hell if they don't. They prefer not to, but Okay? Now, that's a terrible legacy that we've given uh, to our youth. Yes. But you will see these are the motivators that that, that most of the world is governed.
2: Well, this is about salvation, but when you come about working together, sometimes it's kind of. It can go still on the same point, but what really has to motivate is you is love. Because you can try to. To not use money to motivate people to
1: gain something, but well, you can use other things, sure. little things that position, position, pride, mm-hmm. uh, or feeling people that sure. you like them. They will They are afraid to that's lose right. your, your your trust or whatever. And so right. they do things for you, that's but right. they
2: don't love you. They are right. just afraid of losing mm-hmm. your friendship right. or whatever.
0: There's many things like that. Mm-hmm. that, uh, that our methods, got heaven does not ordain. Okay, we're done. Would you like to pray since you're... we you do that for us?
2: Our kind and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we spent together. Thank you for the insights that we've received from your word and from your um, counsel in the spirit of prophecy. Thank you for blessing Kim and, and uh, giving him this message for us. We ask that you would bless it in our hearts and and may we um, carry it with us and may it be seen in all of our associations that we may um, show your love in every situation in our life and be guided by your spirit. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: This media was brought to you by Audioverse